Hello and welcome to the Fearless Femme Podcast. I'm your host, Rebecca Wysak. If you're a new listener, you haven't missed much. This is the long-awaited second episode. We released a fantastic interview with my 2018 teammate, Nicola McDonald, last June, but since then, the airwaves have been quiet. The day after our interview, Nicola got her first podium of the season in the opening day of the Tour of America's Dairylands, finishing second in a breakaway. So far, 100% of our guests have finished on the podium the very next day, and I'm hoping this trend continues for our next guest. We had a great response to our first podcast. Thank you for the feedback from our listeners. This one from Ben from Canberra, Australia was my personal favourite. He says... I just listened to the potty. Bit of a robot start, but it gets better and it's flowing by the end. Thanks, Ben, for listening and for helping to make the podcast experience better for everyone. Feel free to contact us if you have any suggestions, fan questions or feedback. I am aware I sounded a bit robotic at first, and that's something I'll work on. I'd love this podcast to be more of a conversation and less of an interview. My second guest on the Fearless Femme podcast is my teammate, Nat Redmond. We first shared a podium at the Tour of the King Valley in Victoria, Australia in 2014. And I'll let her introduce herself. So I'll start by asking you, guest, who are you? Well, you didn't tell me you were going to ask that. Um, I'm Nat, or Natalie to my mum, Redmond. I'm 27 years old. I'm from Adelaide and... I race my bike and work as an engineer. I think it's fascinating because the last guest I asked who they were and I didn't really probe any further. Um, She didn't actually say she was a cyclist. So I think it's nice that you've defined yourself by what you do on and off the bike. Uh, Obviously, this is a cycling podcast, but it's also a fearless femme podcast. So we're about women and the women's cycling movement, but women who are fearless. And I think it's fascinating that you are an acoustics engineer. Um, You've selected the location in the host house here of uh, where we could do this interview. Obviously high ceilings, soft furnishings. I've learned a lot about that industry uh, since you've been on the team, but what brought you into an industry like that? And do you see it as a lifelong career? I studied mechanical engineering and law. I quickly, maybe not quickly, it was a six year degree, but I decided in my final year that I didn't want to be a work in law um I kind of wanted to do I think I always wanted to be an engineer but I didn't want to do just engineering I thought it was too one-dimensional so I wanted to do something else with it and so I chose law um but when I graduated I just went straight into engineering um and it was actually uh the company I went to work for they put me in the acoustic team for my work experience and I've stayed there the whole time. So acoustics is a specialist area um, and you could learn about it at uni as an elective, but I didn't actually do the elective. So I sort of just ended up in that area spontaneously and I've been working in it for four years and I really enjoy the variety of the work we do uh, because we work on road projects, rail projects. If you drive on a highway and you see the noise wall, well, there are many reasons you might have a wall next to a highway, but one of them being noise. Um, and we design those. And also, if you walk into an acoustic space, like a performance hall or into a school and realise that the teacher can 
tell you what they're teaching you without yelling that's probably a little bit of acoustic design as well and it's something that you do see yourself sticking in long term yeah I've been really fortunate that I've been able to um, take time off work to go overseas and train and ride and I've for the four years that I've been working so far that I've spent the entire time working four days a week and then this year I've dropped to three days a week and yeah they've been really supportive so I guess I personally feel that um, when I started working that I wasn't in a position of power and if they had said I had to work full time I don't think I would have felt like I could challenge it but now having had the uh, I guess the opportunity to work part-time and train and and seeing over the years that my supervisor and the company is supportive I think that's empowered me to really say what I want and need to do both my job and my sport consecutively. It's a pretty big leap of faith for you to come to America this year for one um, but two to become a full-time athlete for the first time ever. How have you found that transition and does it make you anxious when obviously you're forgoing and to go on unpaid leave to, to do something like this here? I think in a sense, I, um, I'd say probably just as my personality or my values that I don't like being in a position of vulnerability and that includes financially. And I think a lot of people, uh, male or female, don't like that feeling and going on unpaid leave is, is, something that causes you to feel that way and so um it's always about weighing up the opportunity cost and the risk of doing these things and but it's also that in my cycling sense that there is a progression and um having the opportunity to train full-time and race full-time is part of that progression and being able to have a job to go back to or as well is gives me some security to make these leaps and not feel like I have to throw everything away and choose one or the other. Um, I think if you, you know, if you go to professional cycling, there's going to be a point where you have to stop working and that's, um, that's life. But I don't think you want to do it until you're getting paid a wage. That would be the ideal. Obviously it's not like that for everyone, but in terms of what I've noticed, um, compared to working three days a week, like I would train in the morning and I'd work in the afternoon and here I train in the morning and I nap in the afternoon and uh, it makes a huge difference to like I just you know going through my training files and looking at the volume I'm doing on the bike and I was like oh I just did a thousand TSS week and normally if I was doing that it would be a I would be exhausted on top of work and I felt fine like it I was surprised how much of volume I'd done so that's just a simple way of quantifying how important rest is, obviously, but also like work is a stress and yeah. taking that stress away is really noticeable, I think. Obviously, uh, you're writing for a, an American Criterium team, uh, but you started life as a, a road cyclist and uh, I guess we'll go into some of your cyclocross. Um, that's probably what you're better known for as a cyclocross racer, uh, racing internationally, but um, I do remember we podiumed together at the Tour of the King Valley in Victoria and Australia. I did write in my notes to look up the year. You might be able to tell me the year. But um, can you tell me a bit about your progression in the sport? Um, uh, how, I guess how you got into cycling and then how you've evolved over, over the years to land where we are right now. Yeah. Um, so 
I didn't ride as a, well I rode bikes as a kid just with my family but I don't come from a cycling family my whole family play field hockey um but it never I played a little bit but it didn't really appeal to me um I did a bit of running but actually in high school I sort of stopped doing sport I was having a shit time at high school and just didn't want to be there and didn't do much of really anything um then I think in year 11 and 12 uh me and my dad watched the Tour de France and I pulled out my older brother's Shogun hybrid that was he'd got in year five so it was like eight years old and started riding that around and then I crashed into a wall and um (laughs) asked for an upgrade and got onto another hybrid and then at the end of year 12 um uh, instead of going to schoolies, which if you're not Australian is uh, at the end of year 12, everyone goes and parties and maybe drinks, depending on their age. Um, I went with my mum, which sounds really nerdy, um, to the Great Victorian Bike Ride, which is a organised, uh, supported bicycle ride through country Victoria. Um, and then I said to my mum, how about you take this hybrid and I'll get a road bike? So end of year 12, I got my first road bike um, because I was watching the Tour de France and just kept riding further and faster. And I guess I just found a sport and I was enjoying myself and exploring on a bike um, by myself, really. Um, In first year uni, uh, the bike shed where I parked, we all parked our bikes. Um, Someone put a sign up saying, who would like to start a cycling club? And I sent, instead of just signing the form, I actually sent a really long email about, this is something I'd inquired about during the start of the year and they didn't have a cycling club and I was very keen to be involved and uh, me and three other guys um, put together a cycling club and we actually worked quite a bit with the other university. We were running training sessions and group rides and um, that was how I was probably the start of actually being a road rider rather than just riding around by yourself um, and learning quickly all about the intricacies of bunch riding. Um, And then I think in second year, a friend of mine in in one of the university club found out about uh, a testing that the state institute was doing for track sprinting, and I said... And he suggested I do it, and I was not convinced. I was like, why? I'm not a sprinter. He was like, no, every time we leave the traffic lights, you sprint. <laughs> so you should go and get tested. And so I went and got tested, and they said, oh, you're doing all right. And um, I went into the sprint program, which is totally – it was just totally different from any sport I've ever done. And um, for people not familiar with track sprinting, it's – go as hard as you can for about 20 seconds maximum. And uh, so all the training is focused around that. It's either really easy recovery rides to the beach or gym sessions or maximal efforts on a velodrome, so like on a track. And that was really hard for me to get into. I was used to more volume is better. And um, I probably wasn't the right athlete just in terms of I didn't really understand the purpose and I think also I 
I just don't think I'm a pure sprinter. And um, a funny story, I gave myself a Christmas present of going for a ride in the hills, which wasn't in my program. <laughs> and um, I met someone on the ride and they just happened to know my coach. So then my coach found out that I was riding in the hills, which we weren't supposed to do because we were just supposed to ride at the beach. So I don't think it was particularly impressed with me, but that's what I loved doing was riding around and exploring. And um, so didn't stay in the track program for too long, but I learned a lot about racing through that. So I still got something of value, but um, yeah, not for me. Um, and then, yeah, just uh, so spent a few years just getting used to road racing, started in E grade, which is Cat 5, if you're American, and just worked my way up. And then um, uh, Mitch, who is my partner, I met him through the cycling club. He'd come over from Victoria, started to coach everyone in the club, and he was just like, you should go race in the National Road Series and train me for it. And then we met in 2014. I think it was my third National Road Series race, and... Um, you actually, in, it was like a road stage, 110Ks or something, pretty flat, and you went for like some 3K flyer, and I won the bunch kick, so you took away my win. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Hmm. It's pretty impressive, though, your third National Road Series event. You're down there by yourself, not supported. You're essentially doing your own thing, and to, to get a podium when some women had probably been in the National Road Series for years and not got a result like that, did that give you... I guess the motivation and the idea that I could potentially pave a career as a road cyclist. I don't think I was thinking much about a career at that point. It was just, I'm competitive and I wanted to win and I thought I could win. I don't know. I just had some, I guess, self-confidence that I'm probably not as intimidated as I needed to be. Um, and I, it was just a progression thing. It was just like, this is the next step. I wouldn't have done it if I wasn't surrounded by people who told me to do it. I didn't even really realise. Adelaide does have a national, did have a national road series uh, race and we, that was one of the ones I did in the lead up was Adelaide tour. And I'd come like 11th in one sprint, but I got boxed in behind some other girl. And so I kind of was, I had the taste of it and I kind of felt like I could win after that. It was just, yeah, progression. It's, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's about pathway. I didn't see the, I didn't see a long-term pathway. I didn't see professional cycling. I didn't see like where it all goes. Yeah, you're obviously enjoying it at that point, and I think uh, our team snapped you up pretty quickly for a guest ride, at possibly the very next tour, tour of the gold fields. Um, but then you had a couple of uh, a short period of uh, becoming unwell. Obviously, you're trying to balance a lot of things in your life as well. What were you thinking? You said you, you didn't see this as a long-term thing. Uh, yeah, what were your thoughts around cycling at the time? Was it purely for fun or um, did you just want to see how far you could go? I think it's, yeah, both. I just love racing. I feel like training, I, I enjoy tra training. I enjoy riding my bike, but I enjoy the competition and going to National Road Series where 50-plus women, that wasn't an experience I'd had in my home town like there just wasn't that many women so it was like oh this is this is it like I didn't think about internationally I was just like this is where I need to be bunches and the whole different style the pace was up and um yeah it was 
the next step going to guest ride with your team at the time that was another eye-opener about all the elements of team because everything I'd done up to that point apart from a composite team in Adelaide was just individual but uh, that that too was pretty much when I realized something was really wrong with me at the same time and I didn't really contribute much to the team at all I was just getting dropped out the back I was really on a downhill at that point um and tried to hang on and just kept taking time off the bike and then be like oh I feel better train again get sick again we did uh to it under with the team as well but I was had like a little bit of a glimpse of glimpse of health and then <laughs> buried myself again and uh yeah it took me a while to get a diagnosis and pretty much I ended up taking three months off the bike completely but I guess yeah I was I'd been doing it for long enough I loved it I knew I loved it and it was also really fortunate so yeah that race we did in 2014 that was my final year of uni and then fortunately in 2015 I started working so I think that really helped to take my take just not be so focused on the cycling when it's not working yeah your partner you mentioned um, Mitch he was a cyclist himself and obviously uh, incredibly supportive of, of your career back then and, and continues to be to allow you to come over here and, and pursue dreams. So what imp- impact has he had on your career to date? Well, he had done it all. So um, he had gone overseas and raced um, in France when he was the age that I was doing it. And um, so I guess he saw all the options. He saw the pathway. He was like just very, had a lot of belief in me that just helped just see where you could go and I guess yeah he was coaching me as well so a bit of everything um lots of it can be a bit of a stressor but um you make it work how long did that coaching relationship work out and is he still coaching you not anymore but um mostly because I guess I wanted more detail and like he was happy to coach me, but in a very sort of blasé way. And I wanted a bit more of a technical way. And, um, but he trains with me as well. So now that he's not competing at such a high level, he's happy to sometimes annoyingly ride next to me during my 20 minute efforts. And he's not working as hard as I am and telling me to like watch my breathing, which is very frustrating at times, but um, having someone to train with is, it makes a huge difference when you're trying to spend hours on the bike. And I recommend dating a cyclist if you're a cyclist because if you're spending your spare time doing it, you may as well spend your spare time doing it with the person you're in a relationship with. Yeah, I mentioned previously you're probably better known as a cyclocross racer. You have raced internationally. And cyclocross has a very rich history in America and Europe, but it's still in its infancy in Australia. How do you even get exposed to cyclocross? Um, it's not like we have harsh winters and snow and all those awesome muddy elements that you associate with cyclocross racing. Um, and how challenging is it as an Australian trying to become, I guess, the best in the world? If, if, is that your ambition? Definitely to be the best Australian. Um, best in the world is a big ask, but I guess the best, being the best Australian and then the best I can be would be a nicer way of putting it let's not dethrone the world champion right right the second (laughs) um yeah I guess I didn't mention anything about cyclocross up to that point because until I got sick I hadn't raced cross race um it was when I started riding my bike again finally getting sorted with my health 
And I'm sure if anyone's taken a long period off the bike, they'll understand that feeling of going up your standard training climb and going really slowly and just feeling pretty miserable about yourself and how far you have left to go. And um, I borrowed a bike and raced our local club racing and um, then pretty immediately went out and bought the cheapest, cheapest, nastiest cross bike I could get and um, just jumped straight into our local racing and then the national series. Though, as you're saying, cyclocross is really young in Australia. Uh, I think we have had six um, national champs so far. So comparing to at least America's been running national champs since the 90s, I'd say. I might be wrong. Um, it's just really young. They, haven't, they didn't have a cross race in Australia till probably 2011 at the earliest. So, yeah, we weren't even doing it in the 2000s. Um, but probably Adelaide and Victoria were early adopters of cross. And we had a Canadian guy who was living in Adelaide who his partner was racing cross at a high level, had been in the past, and he came and helped us design courses and just teaching everyone how to dismount and remount. And there is some footage on the internet of like the very early cross races and everyone's on these zombie bikes or like just put together road bikes with knobbly tires and getting tires and getting all that equipment that people weren't selling because no one was racing. The sport was really hard. People, it, it was in a weird stage and you look at the videos and you just, Oh, the technique it's, it's come a long way. Um, but I guess when I jumped into it, the national, the cross had been going for three or four years at that point, And, um, uh, people had been going to race the world cups and the world champs. They would usually just go for the last two to four weeks of the season and just do the final world cup and then the world championships, um, everything on your own dollar. Like there, and that's still the case. Um, there's no money for, um, cyclocross. It's not an Olympic sport, so it's not eligible unless maybe you're going to be on the world championship podium. So, um, yeah, you just, people were doing it because it was, they did well at nationals and they thought they'd go and race, race in Europe. Is this the sport? Have you found your event? I know in cycling, there are so many different disciplines and you've been on a uh, the track as a sprinter I know you've mentioned to me privately previously that you would have loved to be perhaps try endurance on the track um, you've got mountain bike cyclocross road crit racing you can really specialize do you think you've found your calling and is this the thing that you'd like to pursue long term I really like I think Yolanda Neff said I'm not a mountain biker I'm a cyclist and I, reson- I that resonates with me like I don't think uh, I I think you're seeing more and more now that people aren't picking one and saying, I'm going to do this forever. And I would recommend that you don't pick one and do it forever because it's a lot more fun to try a few things. I'd love to take you out on a mountain bike and see how you go. Um, I think also that you're seeing a lot of people who are succeeding in multiple disciplines. Um, Marion Voss, multiple world champion on cyclocross and road, Lucinda Brand, Pauline ferran Yolanda Neff, I could mention some men, but let's not. Um, <laughs> there's just so many people doing both, doing both really successfully. So I don't really, I don't want to choose, but um, that was definitely one of the things. And when I discovered cross, I thought, Ooh, this is, this is good for me. It's raw and it's a power sport. And I really enjoyed the technical bit because 
I sucked at it initially and I enjoyed the challenge of sucking at something and having to learn how to do it. Uh, what I know you're still chasing your Australian title and that's something that continues to drive you. What would be your greatest achievement to date? Um, it doesn't sound great, but I guess top... I Well, I won the National Series last year. I just had a rather costly mechanical in the National Champs. Um, but I've top 30 in World Cups, which... Uh, it's probably the second best Australian result ever. So I guess for this year, the goal is to finally get the jersey and take it overseas because unfortunately the last two people to win it haven't gone and raced overseas with it, which um, is a matter of a little bit of national pride for me. I've been going over there and I want to wear, I want to go over there in green and gold. Um, and then, yeah, I'd love to go top 20 in a World Cup which would be the best Australian World Cup result ever. Um, I guess there's also the international rankings. Um, I think the best Australian would be Lisa Jacobs, maybe scraped into the top 50 once three or four years ago. Um, so I'd love to go top 50 and see how high I can go. But, yeah, it's just a, it's a collection of a whole lot of things um, that will hopefully add to that best Australian cyclocross rider ever. Yes, it's a brutal sport and obviously your rankings and uh, determined start position and uh, even start money, uh, which would make a huge difference for you trying to do this semi-professionally um, and full-time. Um, yeah, I guess that's it's actually really different from road where you race as a team and um, generally not start, start money wouldn't be the standard. Um, maybe there'll be appearance fees for particular people, probably with more obligations for media or interviews. But um, cyclocross, I wouldn't say... Well, cyclocross in Europe, start money is not... Ex it's hard to say. Not expected, but it's part of what you get. So just for attending a race, there, will, there generally would be some money. And that helps because it's not going to be determined by your result and then there will be prize money as well so if you're placing well and if you're if you have value and that's that's another thing it's uh like a national champion would be more valuable than someone just in normal kits so that makes a difference and if you think over a season you do well I went over in 2017 for three months and I think I did uh 25 races in if you're if you're worth uh, a little bit more for 25 races, that makes a difference. Definitely. Uh, so you're here now racing for a crit team. Um, I can see some parallels between crit racing and cyclocross racing, having never tried cyclocross myself. But why did you choose to come to America? I think actually back in 2014, I decided I really wanted to go to Tour of Dairylands. Um, having seen it on the internet, I'd had that, added it to the dream list and um I guess other things had gotten in the way it hadn't lined up um and yeah part of that progression for me this year I basically at the end of 2018 I decided I wanted to step things up again another notch and um change my hours at work and was looking for an opportunity to race full-time go overseas and uh this is a really good fit like you're saying parallel with cyclocross is really there I mean also this is giving me a summer of training full-time and 
leading into the cyclocross season. And actually, so our team director, Arun Kroon, I sat down with when we were talking in the, at the, to negotiate, I guess, um, a spot on the team, I made it really clear that I wanted to do both, that the races that were important to me, the national championships, um, and also that there's a really awesome opportunity to tag the two American World Cups onto the end of this training as well, which I did last year and loved. America does a great job at cyclocross. And um, so being able to do, it feels like having your cake and eating it too. Um, and yeah, I, not just Dairylands, yeah, all these races are big and it's been awesome so far. I'm loving it. I love racing, any racing, I'll do anything. <laughs> what motivated you uh, to choose this team, I guess. Um, and yeah. Well, I was fortunate to know you and, um, that's definitely knowing you were on the team and knowing you've had a great experience and come back for the third year says a lot for the team, I think. And, um, well, we had that funny, uh, we were both racing Bay Crits and, um, I was talking to you after the race and saying, I want to go to America. And then the team DS adds me as a friend on Facebook and, you were just, you know, you're singing the team praises and it's just pretty awesome when, uh, when things line up. I'm not going to say it will fate, but um, you don't have to, don't make things more difficult than they are. It was, I think it was the right fit. And then I guess I probably didn't know as much about the team as I knew about you racing on the team, but I've learned a lot about the vision for the team and um, Fearless Femme, my, my parents love the name. Um, <laughs> And uh, just helping helping change the image of the sport, not just being about being competitive and winning, but winning's nice, um, but also about being good people and diverse people and um, being open and talking to people, not just being focused on performance. What were your expectations coming here? You've had a couple of events already. You placed top 10 in all three rounds that we contested at Speed Week, which was just a few days after landing. Um, and we've had a win last weekend in Rochester, which you're a big part of. Yeah, what were your expectations coming here? And is, is it everything that you expected it would be? I definitely, two or three weeks out from coming, I had a bit of a, oh God, there's a lot of unknowns. And for me, this is my first time being in a real proper team and um so that's an unknown and then host housing is always an unknown I mean we've had absolutely amazing experiences every race we've gone to we've had a new different family and they've been so welcoming and they've cooked us some amazing food and it's been awesome um but staying with essentially a stranger is always um you just don't know how that's going to go um and meeting the DS and seeing what the expectations are and there's just a lot of things and I, it just kind of hit me and I was like, oh, that, this is going to be really big. But um, fortunately, I got over that little hump and uh, yeah, I guess I didn't want to carry too much expectation in because I didn't know what to expect. Um, I definitely asked a lot of questions in that first week up in the lead up to speed week. I just wanted to see how things were run, what, how, what happens before a race, when like when are we going to get the team briefing? When do we get on the rollers? And uh, just all the like logistics things that I just wanted to know so I could manage myself and not do something that didn't meet, meet with what the team was doing. And 
um, yeah, racing as a team, that's, that's a lot to learn. Like I've been so used to racing for myself and knowing that you have someone who has your back or you like see someone attack and someone else on your team goes for it. And you're like, Oh, that's good. <laughs> um, but yeah, I didn't, I guess in terms of results, I think, uh, it's not wanting to win, but wanting to win and wanting to win is good, but I don't think you should go in expecting a number, um, like a result place, because how could I have any idea? I, I've, I, I knew you and I'd raced you and I'd raced other Australians that have raced here. And I had a feel, I was like, well, I'm not going to get dropped out the back, but I didn't know how I was going to go. And that's probably a nice, it's a nice feeling to have probably. What do you hope to take out of this whole experience? I guess I want to be a better racer. I'm, and probably in the last, I guess from the last four races we've done, having top 10, but not got on the podium yet, I really want to learn how to win. And that's, I think that is a skill. And um, it's about learning what you, what, what your weapon is or like what your, um, what works for you because you're, you're racing a bunch of people. There are some women who have been racing, just racing crits for years and many years, some of them. And you just, they, they are so confident in how they can best win a race. And, and they're all playing that, like not necessarily the same card every race, but they know, they know exactly where they fit and everything about their, where they need to be, how long they can sprint for. And for me, I'm still learning that in this context, I guess. I'm learning how I can win. And so being close is good. <laughs> it means I can, I'm getting closer. Definitely. Um, I did want to talk a little bit about a project that you started in Adelaide. And I think with the Fearless Fam and a women's cycling team and the movement um, and the mission that we have here in America. I think there's a great synergy with uh, a group that you started in Adelaide in January last year, WMN Train Adelaide Group. So being a Facebook group predominantly, but a community of women to communicate with each other. You have structured training rides, provide advice to the group. Um, for women who might be new to road cycling, who have ambitions to race, um, I love that you've created a very welcoming and, and inclusive place for women to support other women. Because um, road cycling specifically can be very intimidating for women starting out. So I guess what inspired you to start the group and, and how important is it to have a space like that um, for people who are, are starting out in the sport? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Women Train Adelaide. I just WMN, but got to take it. Getting rid of the vows is cool now, so um, we got to be cool. Um, it was actually one a girl that I rode raced with um, came to me, and she wanted to, me to help train her. And um, I, I mean, I'm not a coach, so I don't. And I've made that pretty clear to everyone in the group. I'm not a coach, but um, I'm going out and training a lot by myself sometimes, and. I thought the best, if, if I want to commit to something, I want to make it work in a longer term sense. Um, it needs to not be a big obligation. So finding a way that to, to help the community that 
doesn't feel like a burden. And so I started this group and I, I'm hoping that it grows beyond me. That's really the dream is that I don't need to, I don't need to put up a training session for there to be a training session that other people can say, I'm training and do you want to come train with me? And it's, it is happening after a year. And, um, there are other people going into the group and using it as a place to share the races and share the training. And, but yeah, initially there were points last year that I was putting up four training rides a week that people could come out with, which was maybe a bit too much. And I've pulled it back a bit since then and maybe just running one or two, um, when I'm in Adelaide. Um, but I made sure it was just the training I was doing. I'm, I'm going for three hours in the hills. Do you want to join me? I'm, I think also in my experience, women want to know, well, in my experience, women are thinking about maybe the negatives sometimes. They think, oh, maybe I can't keep up or maybe I'll get dropped. Or, And so I've tried to make it really clear about every anything I post in the group. I try to make it really clear about what the pace of the group is like, what the route is. I always try and post the route in advance so everyone knows where we're going, how fast we're going to be going, how, and the feel of it. I try and like put it into words. So I'm saying, if you're a Cat 1 rider, you should feel comfortable on this ride. We're going to keep the pace on. We're trying to avoid stopping too often. If you're a Cat 2 rider, you're probably going to be slightly uncomfortable on this ride. But that's okay. It's not You're not going to get dropped. You're just going to be just knowing that going in that that's probably how it's going to feel. Um, and that's what I want them to know. And that hopefully, and I think it has helped, um, encourage people to come out because they're saying, well, I know it's not going to be, uh, let's smash it up the hill and then stop at the top. It's actually, we're going to ride up the hill and continue riding at a steady pace for three hours. And I've really trained them really well. It's, it's been fantastic. Now they all know my pace and now they will just, I don't even have to be there. They'll ride exactly as I've taught them, which is fantastic. Um, but also it just made having, I think people come in and out of, out of racing um, for various reasons, sickness, other commitments, people lots of women have a lot of obligations on their weekend they don't have time to race but training is a bit more constant and if you can build a community of women who train together then if you drop out of racing you're not dropping out of the community and that's really important and then when you're ready and when you have time again you can come back to racing and you keep getting that information about what races are on um that was another problem we don't always run women only races so women aren't all tapped into what races are being run and because there's not always a race that they'll feel comfortable doing. So making sure they know this race is on, it's running a women's grade or it isn't, or women are going to be incorporated into this men's grade. They just know what, knowing exactly how women are being incorporated into events, not just that there is an event. I don't really know why I started it, but uh, just that woman and yeah, Facebook, it's popular in Australia and it was an easy way to do that that was a long um explanation the group's grown to 110 members which is pretty impressive um i mean adelaide is a is a big city but not one of the biggest cities um i'm still on the group even though i'm not based in adelaide anymore but do you have an end goal for the women train adelaide group well i guess yeah that's the self-sufficient um i mean i'd also love some custom kit in women train adelaide but um yes just the group to survive and to I mean, the group is about, as you're saying, road cycling and fixing, trying to help fix road cycling in Adelaide. And um, this is one of the ways that I can contribute. Um, Yeah. If you weren't racing a bike, 
What would you be doing? Uh, like, I can't ride one anymore? Potentially. If this ended tomorrow, what, what do you see yourself doing? I would definitely just take up a different sport. I, I can't not be doing something. I have a lot of energy and I need to spend it somehow. But yeah, I, would, I guess I'd go back to work if I couldn't race, but I'd probably, probably do some running, do some hiking. I just like being outside. Um, I'm jumping around a little bit here, but once your career is done, what do you want to be known for? Like looking back, um, yeah, I just want to be the best cyclocross racer Australia has ever had. That would be good and take him a while to come past me as well. No, that's not good. Maybe, maybe to be quickly replaced by far better younger riders who have come through the sport and been in it their entire life. That would actually be really nice to see. Um, I guess, yeah, I contribute also to my local cross community. I run, help run the coaching clinics and I would love to see more juniors in cross and helping with that because that's something we so I guess I I don't know I think if I stop competing at an elite level I will still race locally and I still want to give back to my community and um share my knowledge and that's the people who have so many people who have helped me I went to, the first time I went to cross nationals there's a video of me stacking it in practice but um <laughs> I was being shown the course by a friend and he just spent hours helping me dial it in I probably spent way too much time I probably exhausted myself practicing the course um but I learned so much and that he took the time to do that made a huge difference to my race then and I and that knowledge that I probably carried on um after that and that's hopefully what I try and do for other people like yes you've got to prioritize your race and your event but if you can find a moment to show someone else a course or give them a little bit of your time that that helps them more than the five minutes you spent doing something you obviously have a lot of experience uh, across the sport in different events and disciplines not just cyclocross and um what would one tip what one tip would you give for women starting out on the bike on the bike I guess ride with people um I think there's there's so many little things about cycling that um no there's you can't look them up and learn them and they're not all written down and so if you want to just be if you want to get better quickly ride with people who are good or slightly better than you and just get them to teach you all the little things you do wrong and hopefully that's a quick way don't spend all the time I did riding around by myself um I think find people find a community and um and learn the roads so uh, well yeah because I love just riding around and checking out new roads and exploring um I've ridden with people who you take them out through the hills and say we're going to do 80 k's 40 miles in the hills and every road you take them on they say I've not been on this one I've not been on this one and you can't enjoy what you're doing if you're not seeing new things. That's one of the beautiful things about cycling is that you can experience your um, environment. So that I think I gave two pieces of advice. So ride with people outside on new roads. <laughs> um, one thing that you know now that you wish you knew when you started cycling? Probably that how useful the knowledge of other people and just... Um, 
I was telling you about an article I read this morning about the best way to get good is to do races that are the hardest races you can do and with the biggest fields and just throw yourself in and the times that I've done that the times have I've improved the most and um that's probably I I didn't have like a linear path where I progressed really quickly I spent a lot of time faffing around and just it it's I I, it didn't matter because I was enjoying myself but if if my goal was performance initially I wasn't focused on that and I think I'm 27 now and I've been riding for since I was 17 or 18 but um I guess if I wanted to get there quicker I definitely could have and probably having some some more guidance would have helped with that one of our fan questions, a fun one to finish off with, one of our fan questions from last year was, are the burgers better in Australia or America? Um, the burgers I've eaten here so far, I would say Australia's better, but um, maybe there are some really good ones that I haven't tried yet. But I'm a bit of a foodie, so I don't eat a lot of McDonald's. I thought of another question that I've skipped over, uh, which was another fun one. <laughs> if you could only eat one thing, for the rest of your life what would it be this is like one of the things where you choose a cheat options so you go with something that can be lots of things like, like a smoothie because you could have banana in it milk eggs yeah well yeah i would probably choose if i had to eat the same thing i'd probably go with stir fry because then it can be lots of lots of different variations of stir fry but i think even that would get boring because stir fry doesn't always have to be with rice you can have noodles in it and when i was a journalist i used to finish off by saying is there anything you'd like to add no, um, that was good. Thanks for interviewing me, Beck. Thanks, Nat, for sharing your story with us. We'd love to check in later in the season to see how you're progressing racing in the States and ask you a little bit more about what it's like to race cyclocross in Europe. If you enjoy the show, please share it with your friends. You can also follow the team on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or visit our team website, fearlessfemracing.org. Thank you for taking the time to join us today. Stay safe and be fearless.